Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Mornings with Carmen. I hope you've got your favorite hot beverage this morning, a cup of coffee, a hot chocolate, a hot cider, a hot cup of tea. I don't know about you, but it is a little brisk and chilly where I am. It may be downright frigid where you are. We're going to warm things up this morning with the word of God and the fellowship um, of believers. We're going to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. Uh, and each walk our faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that honor Jesus. That's um, that's our that's our goal. That's what we're seeking to do here this morning. So good morning. Thank you so much for uh, taking me along on your morning ride or your morning walk or your morning run, um, whatever it is we're doing together this morning. Um, uh, I appreciate that we're doing it together. So uh, a few sort of hashtag pray the news things here as we lead off. Uh, first of all, there was a six point five. You know, that's how they that's how they measure earthquakes. So magnitude earthquake this morning in Puerto Rico. It's the largest in a series of earthquakes that have been um, rumbling the island for the last few days. Um, this one, the 6.5 magnitude quake, was much more severe than some of the um, obviously the minor quakes leading up to it. And right now, the entire island is without power. And so just be, you know, praying for that. Um, Obviously, folks still recovering there from hurricane damage and literally that island trying to get back on its um, on its economic feet. So to be praying for folks there this morning and, you know, let us know if you've got contacts in Puerto Rico. We'd love to follow up with them. You can always communicate with me via the text line at 877-933-2484. Or you can send me an email if you've got contact information for people you think we should be talking with. Um, maybe you've got contacts in Australia we could be talking with about the wildfires there. Maybe you've got contacts in Puerto Rico. Um, let us be a community of believers in that way and put put one another in touch with others. You can always email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. You heard uh, in the news at the top of the hour um, that during the what a, an event that's called a mourning march, mourning there as in grief, um, so it's a funeral procession. It's called a mourning march. It's actually been going on for days uh, the slain body of Iranian Commander General Qasem Soleimani uh, has been toured around Iran's major cities, and it was uh, in his hometown of uh, Kerman, where this is where this morning march should have come to a conclusion, um, ending with his burial. Um, that is now postponed as a stampede erupted. Now, you got to if you see the pictures of these events. The massive numbers of people who are gathered together in the streets of Iran mourning the death of this individual is really um, pretty astounding. Um, and so this stampede erupted. Um, some 35 people are already known to be dead. Those numbers may rise. Uh, dozens more injured. Um, it made me consider sort of the approach that we take culturally to death and to funerals. And I want you to um, just remember the last funeral you attended or even 
the last public figure who died and you took the time off um, from whatever else you had planned to go maybe stand alongside a road um, as they passed by in, you know, through your town. Or maybe you um, maybe you remember a point in time in your own life when you you took time to go to Washington, D.C. to maybe see a former president lie in state uh, prior to their internment. Um, it's a very, very different approach in in these Islamic uh, communities. And I want you to just, you know, consider what that means, how how we process death differently, um, what our worldview says about death. Um, what do you have planned for uh, or what do you anticipate is going to happen after you die? Not just to your spirit, but, you know, to your body. Like if you talked with your family about what what you want um, and what they want and what is expect mutually expected. You know, there's a generation of people who are um, not not people of faith. And if those of us who are people of faith expect people who are not people of faith to um, hold a, a, a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, following our death, you know, we, we might be um, surprised um, to learn that that's not what they have planned. So uh, talking about these things is important. And this very public funeral um, in the Middle East gives us an opportunity to talk about, you know, how we see things differently, what we believe about uh, life after death and how we intend to be together forever, not only with God, but with those uh, who bend the knee, bow the knee now to Jesus Christ. All right, a couple of other things, but we'll get to them at the top of the next hour because Nick Pitts is waiting in the wings, former editor of TheBriefing.net, uh, continuing as a fellow for the Institute for Global Engagement, and he and I are going to talk about uh, Planned Parenthood, which just issued its annual report. It's staggering in its depth of, of depravity. We're also going to talk about a new poll out um, uh, centering on white evangelical Protestant Americans. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. He is the former editor of TheBriefing.net, and we still want you to check out what is happening at TheBriefing.net. He continues as a fellow with the Institute for Global Engagement. Nick, welcome back. And and uh, I was about to say Merry Christmas, but Happy New Year. Hey, Carmen. Uh, happy New Year to you. It is such a great day to be here and always a good day to start off with you. Well, thank you so much. Okay, so I was reading this um, this headline related to the Planned Parenthood annual report. I was uh, I was staggered to learn um, that not only had Planned Parenthood performed the highest number of abortions ever uh, in terms of when they've been counting, but also that they've received the highest amount, the the greatest amount of government funding um, ever. And um, I was I was surprised by that, wondering what your uh, reaction to it is. Yeah. So uh, one, we just need to recognize that the that abortion is a medical procedure, but it's a spiritual battle. At the very end of the day, this is a, the reality that we have forces against us that would simply try to squelch uh, the young children that are our reminders and echoes of God's kingdom here on earth. And so to recognize that reality, one, to have eyes to see that, one, two, to be able to see this for what it is, which is, again, it's going to be that Planned Parenthood has continued, has showed their true colors with their recent um, departure of ways with their CEO, Dr. Uh, Leah Wynn, 
uh, the board saying that no longer are they going to be a full services uh, provider for um, uh, women that are in that period, in that season of life. But Planned Parenthood, when they got rid of Dr. Wynn, said that they were going all out for abortion. And so they've doubled down their efforts. And in turn, they have been highly successful at uh, murdering children. And so that's uh, another reason to be able to lament. But there's always good news in there. As Mr. Rogers continues to remind us in theaters that we just have to look around and we can see some the, the good people, the good neighbors that are surrounding us. With the reality being that for the past three years, that abortion, the number of abortions in the U.S. has gone down, uh, largely due to state measures and then a variety of other influences. But even though Planned Parenthood is becoming more effective, it's good to know that the number of abortions actually has gone down and has reached a level as low as the 70s. And so we're starting to see really great movement in the abortion uh, and the pro-life side. So, um, Nick, you know, we we think about 345,000 plus um, people, you know, lives being terminated. And we think about this this budget that is just enormous, one point six billion dollars a year just for this one organization that is committed to, you know, ending the lives of the uh, of the preborn. You know, I I wonder when we talk about um, uh, when we talk about abortion, we do not use language here in our culture that I think we should use, which is that, you know, it's the leading cause of death, um, yeah. not only in America, but it's the leading cause of death globally. So I know you and I are both familiar with this statistic as well that was just released last week, that abortion is the leading cause of death globally in 2019. This number really staggered me, 42 million abortions globally in 2019. Mm-hmm. And, and and just to be, I mean, this is where we can... Uh, uh, lift up uh, our quasi-benefit feminist bona fides. One, it is it is de- abortion is deadly for every woman child. Um, but then also the reality of it is dangerous for women that are getting these abortions. There was a CNN report last year that indicated that 50% of abortions are, are are considered medically dangerous according to the study for the women that are getting it. So this isn't simply just a, a this isn't simply just a choice and elective procedures that women want to have in order to kind of placate whatever the the conveniences or the situations and the planned family of their life. This is a dangerous medical procedure that must be addressed right now. Um, and that I think there's some great movement that's happening in the states right now. But like you've alluded to, one abortion is one too many. And so while we can celebrate the fact that there are less abortions that are happening in the U.S., we're, there are still, just by Planned Parenthood alone, over 300,000. But that's almost half of the number of abortions that have happened in the U.S. over the past year. Mm. All right, Nick Pitts and I are going to um, come back from a break, and we're going to talk about this uh, this new polling information related to white evangelical Protestant Americans. One of the things that Nick and I are going to talk about is the way that the culture talks about people of faith, which includes you and me, and whether or not they get it, you know, accurate. And if they don't, um, how we might help them talk more accurately about those of us who are people of faith. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm talking with Nick Pitts, former editor of TheBriefing.net, still a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I am continuing my conversation with Nick Pitts. You can find him on Twitter at JNickPitts. Um, he, uh, he, well, he's a wonderful young observer, 
uh, student of culture and bringer of the word to bear on the things of the culture. And I frankly just like to talk to him. So welcome back, my friend. Um, uh, we, I know that you're kind of a, a statistics and polling junkie um, in addition to being a, a bit of a, a, a music nerd. Um, so talk with me about this AP and ORC poll. Um, I, I drew out from this article, you know, a lot related to the way they characterized white evangelical Protestant Americans. That, that's obviously a cohort that pollsters are interested in, um, in specifically in 2020 because of the election. Um, t- just give us, you know, give us your takeaways from this um, from this poll. Yeah, I mean, Carmen, you know, it's just so funny. Uh, it, one of the get- things that we can just see is the one, it's the mischaracterization of what is an evangelical. They want to make a political term when in reality what we know to be true is evangelical means so much more than just our, our political affinities and our voting trends. But and we saw glimmers of this in 2016 when evangelical I mean, even the breakdown, uh, it wasn't just evangelical, period, with a really were meaningless uh, white evangelicals. So that's a one. But then, too, we could take heart in the reality that this isn't anything new. I mean, you can go back to Hannah in the Old Testament, to Pentecost and the New, where they thought what, the, uh, what these, the men and women of the faith were doing were appearing as though they were drunk at, at the noon hour. And they just kind of confused us and didn't really understand us. And this this article and some of this research just brings that to bear as well. Just not really understanding who we are. And we're not a monolithic group by any stretch of the imagination. But the one thing that we all do share in common to, to have this name is the most powerful and, and, and significant characteristic. And that is believing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is who he says he was. It was the, the son of God that was born of a virgin and that was resurrected on the third day. Um, and, but, but for some, it just means that we have a certain way that we vote. And I think that for me, I'm increasingly frustrated um, by the, yeah. the, right? the mischaracterization, the misrepresentation, um, the, the ways in which um, I, am, I am spoken of in a very pejorative manner. Um, mm-hmm. Because I am both white and evangelical, and mm-hmm. and the person you know making the statement oftentimes um, like doesn't even consider that, and so I've I've had conversations with um, with people of color about this, and I have said you know have you when you're when you're standing and somebody is talking about people of color in a way that absolutely is not reflective of who you are, like you know tell me what that experience has been like because that's now where I live. I now live in that reality um, because I'm both white and evangelical. And so it has opened, it has opened some pathways to some interesting conversations. Um, And Nick, I don't know about you, but I mean, I stop people in the middle of a conversation and just say, okay, um, I'm both white and evangelical. And the, what you are saying right now is absolutely not true of me. So I need to know how you are using the term evangelical because it sounds like you're using it absolutely just as a political term. And I want to be sure that you understand what it means to me. And that's what makes your radio show. And I'm not I'm not trying to pander to you uh, in any which way. Because there would be no no purpose in doing so. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's one of the things like I so appreciate about your radio show is one, you're trying to bring God back into the conversation like your book did. And then two, you're trying to help help listeners better understand that being evangelical, I mean, there are some individuals that there is one issue from a political standpoint that's really important to them. 
And as Christians, we should be involved in the political process. But at the end of the day, uh, our God doesn't reign at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Our God reigns in the heavens as he does whatever he wants. And so understanding that, but also under the, understanding the implications of his reigning and ruling in the heavens and the implications that has in politics, as well as in how we live and move and have our being on this world, uh, that is, that's the key determiner. But then from our standpoint, and then the second step, once we understand that, and what you, what you do is so important, is how do we have those conversations? And in a culture that increasingly thinks that they have the answers, it makes our response all the more important to ask better questions in these conversations. If they already think they have the answers, we can't just give them more answers. But what we can do is what Jesus did so well, is ask better questions to help unpack the erroneous truths that they're holding on to, and that hopefully we can start a conversation with the questions that we ask that gets to the heart of the matter, which isn't just politics, but is about who Jesus is, and is he who he says he was, and what does that demand of our life? It's so refreshing um, to, you know, to have a conversation um, like this, and um and I just want to encourage our listeners, you know, take a little, take a moment right now um, and just consider where you are um, in, in the midst of this conversation. Like when mm-hmm. Nick and I are talking about the word evangelical, is that even a term you would use to describe yourself? Yes mm-hmm. or no? And if yes, why? And if no, why not? Um, I mean, if we are gospel people, if we are people who are in Christ and Christ is in us and we are um, participants in this great commission to make Christ known to others, um, then then that is at its core what it means to be evangelical. That is not the way our culture has co-opted the term, nor certain people in the culture are seeking to um, have that term identify with something expressly political. And so, you know, we're trying to encourage you today, Nick and I are encouraging you today to really consider um, words and their power and not allow a word to be uh, co-opted by one particular portion of the culture in such a way that we can't use it to mean what it really means. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I just think that, you know, sort of recovering or reestablishing or reclaiming the word evangelical for me is critically important as an individual, but it's also important to me historically. Like, it means something to share the gospel Mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ with others. I completely agree. Hey, um, Happy New Year, man. We look forward to talking with you next time. Um, you know, send me stuff that you're thinking to yourself, hey, that would be fun to talk about on air. I'd, I'd love your uh, love your thoughts along the way, okay? Deal. So great to be with you. <laughs> it's great to have you. All right, that's Nick Pitts. You can find him on Twitter at Pitts. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Okay, as a follow-on to that uh, conversation there with Greg Laurie, you know, when we're talking about generations, um, he's talking about Generation Z, so that's everybody from, like, 11 years old to their early 20s, maybe as old as 25. Um, So when you think about that cohort, uh, who do you know in that bandwidth, people who are 11 to 25? And then consider that Generation Alpha is already upon us. That's everybody 10 or 11 and under, or 10 and under. So um, when we talk about the communication of the gospel, 
it's it's one thing to um, be in you know the one-on-one kind of relationship where over the course of time I can walk with somebody by faith through life and I can talk walk with them and talk with them right that is the way this used to work think about the walk to Emmaus walk with me and talk with me along uh, you know along life's narrow way um, now the way that we walk with people and talk with people is all, often via social media so I want you to consider the power of the social networks that you have and then consider those places a mission field. How might you consider Facebook a mission field, not a platform um, for, uh, you know, whatever kind of uh, social sounding off people want to do, but a mission field um, in which you really have the opportunity to identify where other people are, the things that they believe, their worldview, that which they are putting out there as representing their life. Um, And then, you know, I'm not saying you confront them on Facebook, but I am saying if they're your friend in real life, IRL, then you find an opportunity. You create an opportunity to get together with them, pull their Facebook page up and say, you know, I saw this on your Facebook page and I got to tell you, this concerns me. Would you do that? Like, is that a step you would take with a friend or a colleague um, or uh, even a person who sits in the pew in front of you at church? Social media is a mission field. That's the way I would hope that we would view it. Um, You know, Greg Laurie is observing that this generation of people is on social media. That is where they are. And so if we are going to be missionaries to the emerging generation of culture, that means we have to go where they are. Um, And I'm not saying that we uh, become native to social media, but we have to go where they are if we intend to intersect with them um, in the place where, you know, increasingly they live. Okay, next up, Jonathan Parnell. Jonathan is a pastor uh, in the Twin Cities. You may know Cities Church. Uh, He is also the author of several books. Today, we're going to talk about Mercy for Today, a daily prayer from Psalm 51. So that's up next. If you need mercy, then you need God. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So what are you doing in the middle of the summer? Uh, This is a good time. I don't know about you. I've spent a lot of time like calendaring the last week of December, the first week of January, I'm like, I like get a brand new calendar. I actually write on it. Yes, I have a Google calendar and yes, I have a calendar uh, on Outlook, but I also have a paper calendar. Why? Well, because that helps me. Like it helps me to sort of see it and lay it out. And so what's on your paper calendar at the end of July? I am going to be at the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. Um, I would encourage you to join me there at the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. I'm going to be there. I hope you're going to be there as well. We, we together will be inspired by keynote speakers like Karen Kingsbury and uh, Alicia Britt uh, Scholey. You can get great feedback during one-on-one appointments with editors or agents or authors. Um, you can come to my workshop, like, that'd be super fun. We could grab coffee. You can register online at NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. You get a 20% off registration off of registration if you register during the month of January. Again, you can register at NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. Families call me all the time and say, we need help. What do we do to fix our kid? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. You know what my answer is? Well, there's very little we can do to fix our kid. What we've got to focus on is fixing ourselves. In the process, we're allowing God to do something with our child way beyond our own resources. So let's be practical. Is there something in your family you'd like to be different? 
Maybe a kid that's disrespecting others or blowing off the rules? The problem's so obvious, and of course, should result in consequences. But what's not quite as obvious is what God is trying to teach us. Quit trying to fix your kid and let your family's transformation begin with you. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. great prayer that many of us recognize from a practice during the season of Lent. Uh, It comes from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. God is a God of mercy. Joining me today, Jonathan Parnell, the lead pastor of Cities Church in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, He planted this church with a team in 2015, which we are uh, just excited to celebrate church planters and church planting anywhere and everywhere it happens as the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forth to more and more people. Jonathan is here today to talk with us about his new book, Mercy for Today, a daily prayer from Psalm 51. Jonathan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Happy to be on the show. Thank you. So um, let's just start with mercy and the merciful nature of God, because with you, I am concerned that people think God is just mad and stomping around. And um, one of the things that you redeem for us in the opening uh, of this book is really the character of God as merciful. Yeah, absolutely. You know, mercy is something that many people have probably heard of. We, we, We think of God as a God of grace and a God of mercy. Um, but when it comes to the actual lived experience, like that, that lived reality of how we think about God um, in, in moments throughout the day, I, I don't think that we actually uh, understand his mercy enough. And so that's what I, I'm trying to, in a, in a really simple way, just just help readers um, embrace that God is a God of mercy. He is a merciful God, which is the consistent testimony of Scripture. So one of the things that I was uh, I was considering, um, and, and again, as I was reading the introduction to Mercy for Today, a daily prayer from Psalm 51, it's the new book by Jonathan Parnell that we're discussing today. It occurs to me that there are oftentimes that we reduce the gospel, um, we reduce salvation, and we certainly reduce the character of God as merciful. We reduce them down to sort of a once and done kind of thing. Right. Um, and right. really, that is the reset that you are inviting people to make here. You are inviting people to make this reset to understand that God is merciful moment by moment, and I need his mercy in every moment. Yeah, exactly. I think um, when it comes to re- reducing, uh, I think the way that most most people think about Psalm 51 it is a great example of that, where you know we know the backstory of, of King David and his sin, which is what, what has led to this prayer in Psalm 51. And so there's a bit of a distance that we like to create between this this psalm and our and ourselves. That's, that was my story with this psalm. I was just one of those psalms where you you read it, you, you know the context for it, and you think, I, I really hope I don't have to ever really pray this the way that David ha- is having to pray this. Like, I hope that this is— I'm, I'm happy this is in the Bible, but I don't really want to need this prayer. And I, I think that's just the wrong way to think about it. I think that um, this prayer is in Scripture because we all need mercy, and we need mercy every day. And so I think learning to pray for mercy, seek God's mercy, 
um, after King David in the way that he does it here in Psalm 51 is a, is a helpful um, routine for every Christian every single day. So you've designed this to really be an invitation to daily prayer. Um, it's right there in the title, Mercy for Today, a daily prayer from Psalm 51. Um, and each each one of the petitions, it's a four-petition prayer. Do you want to introduce us to the four petitions of the prayer, and then we can talk about them? Sure, yeah. The the four petitions are um, starting with verse 15, and then 10, 11, and 12. And um, there, there are lots of, I mean, there are more petitions than just four in the prayer. The, the main one being the first one that you've already quoted is, is just asking for mercy according to God's steadfast love. But then these these four petitions, I think, are are a great summary of of what does it mean to to really to seek and embrace the mercy that God has for us in Christ each day. The first prayer is a simple: "Open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise." So it's asking God, "Let me get in on your praise." The the second petition from verse ten is, "Create in me, O God, a clean heart; renew a right spirit within me." Then verse 11 is, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12 is, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. And I take those four petitions and and kind of s- summarize them down to really the, the, the way that, that I pray them every day is I, I pray them here as they're, they're, they're you know, put in scripture. Then I kind of summarize them and pray, Lord, let me get in on your praise today. Change me from the inside out. Please don't leave me. Give me joy again. And so those are the the praise, change, presence, and joy. Those are the four themes I think that we see in these petitions. And they kind of form this fourfold prayer for God's mercy. One of the things that I, I particularly appreciate because I think I'm wired this way as well, um, is that you you are talking about thinking getting our minds right, thinking accurately about who God has, excuse me, revealed himself to be, like that we would have an accurate understanding of God in order that we might, we might come to him and ask him for the things that he has offered and that we might count on the fact that he's going to be the same God uh, today as yesterday and tomorrow. This is, God is who he is. And we have in many times misunderstood him because he has been misrepresented or mischaracterized, um, or we have come to believe inaccurately about him. Talk talk with us about the importance of um, the theology that we allow to shape our, our lives and how our theology related to mercy and God's mercy needs to be reshaped. Yeah, I, I think that's a great a great question. You know, it's the conviction here is just that it's the reality that true worship requires true knowledge of God. We we can't truly worship God for who He is unless we embrace how God has revealed Himself, and He's revealed Himself ultimately, definitively in Jesus Christ, which we we see in Scripture. Scripture is the the revelation that God has given to us that that ultimately is the testimony of Jesus, um, who who is the, the the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So Jesus is uh, God revealed to us, and then the Scriptures are um, what God has given to us as a testimony to who Jesus is. And the only way we can relate to God um, in worship, uh, in fellowship, is to relate to Him as He's He's made Himself known. And so I, I talk about, you know, the book, I, I try to explain a little bit about what prayer is. And I think prayer uh, is really when we, we bridge the gap between truth and experience. It's when we come to God and we bring the truths about God that we say we, we, we believe, that, that we know, and we actually put them into practice. And so I think prayer is important when it comes to this, um, you know, with this, the true knowledge of God, which is then 
translated into the true worship of God. And uh, mercy, I think, is that is that theme where we we want to believe we, we we've heard that God is merciful, but h- how do we relate to Him? How do we come to Him as the God who is merciful? And that's what I'm really trying to get at in this little book. So Jonathan Parnell and I will be back in just a moment. We're talking about mercy for today, a daily prayer from Psalm 51. When we come back, we're going to talk about this word practice and the practice of practice that's recommended in this book. Jonathan just lifted up that word um, practice. What is your practice of prayer? Um, What is the rhythm of your prayer life? And is, is seeking God's mercy a part of that rhythm? We will, um, we'll talk with Jonathan Parnell, pastor and author, when we come back about his own personal prayer life and how it's been changed by this practice of using Psalm 51. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm talking with uh, pastor and author Jonathan Parnell. We're talking about his newest book, Mercy for Today, a daily prayer from Psalm 51. Um, Jonathan, talk about your own personal prayer life. How um, how has praying this prayer, Psalm 51, and and praying the um, the component parts of it? How has this changed um, the practice of prayer in your own life, and and how's it changed your life? Yeah, thank you for asking. You know, I, I, the word I like to use is is just clarifying. I, I feel like uh, th- this prayer it it kind of opens the door for me to to come to grips with reality. I think that the, the thing about prayer that, um, that I try, I, I talk about in the book, it just, just how does the world work? How has God made the world? And it's, it's to understand first and foremost, that God is God outside of us. You know, like he, he doesn't need us to recognize him as God to be God. Um, so every day, uh, we wake up into a world that it, that exists, and we wake up into a reality that exists apart from us. God is God. He is He is sovereign. He is in control. And for us, it's just a matter of, do we want to breathe that air? Do we want to live in that reality, in the reality that is? And prayer, and, and really praying this prayer, is the practice of saying, okay, I, I want to breathe that air, God. I want to live in the reality um, that is the truest reality, and that is in light of your supremacy beneath your smile uh, in Christ, filled by your spirit. And so the, the practice, you know, that it's become really a habit for me. I, I've been praying this prayer every morning for uh, for several years now, and it's waking up and that first prayer really is the most important. It's, it's to say, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, which means right now in this moment, no matter what you're doing, God is being praised. There, there are the whole host of you know angelic beings who are all they do. They ceaselessly praise God. God is being praised. All creation is praising God. Is is for God's glory, reflecting His glory. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Psalm 19 tells us. And so the question for me is: Am I going to get in on that? Do I want to be a part of that chorus that is praising God? And and the answer is, yeah, I want, I want to get in on that. So it's a simple prayer. God, right now, you're being praised. The heavens are declaring your glory. Can I participate? Like, I want to be part of that, too. Like, I want to join that chorus of your praise. And and once we once we enter into that reality, when we embrace that reality, I think that's what then unlocks 
okay, I need you to change me from the inside out. Please don't leave me. Give me your presence and and let me live in your joy. Um, and that's the that's the four partition prayer here in Psalm fifty one. Okay, Jonathan. So now I have two like pastor questions. I might have three, but I definitely have two. Um, And I'm thinking here immediately of two groups of people or two individuals who, you know, represent groups of people. The first is a person who has never prayed a prayer like Psalm 51. Um, They're listening right now. Um, They are outside of what you and I would understand to be the fellowship of believers, but they are interested. They are seeking. They are listening. They want to believe that God is merciful. Um, what does it mean for them to turn and pray Psalm 51? Tell, tell them, assure them that it is because of God's mercy that I can pray a prayer of repentance. Absolutely. I mean, the, you know, Psalm 51, there, there's a conviction, a truth beneath it. And it is that, um, because first God is merciful, it means that secondly, repentance is possible. So there's an invitation that is given to every single human being that no matter where you are, no matter how far away you may be from God, you can turn in this moment from your sin and you can embrace the mercy that is offered to us in Jesus. I mean, that's the greatest news in the world, right? Like it, it doesn't matter. And I think that's the thing about Psalm 51, that it is uncomfortable. David's sin is uncomfortable. This is this is messy. And yet, look, God has mercy even for him, which is to say to everyone, God has mercy even for you if you would turn from your sin and embrace that mercy, which is made so clear to us in the cross of Jesus, where Jesus on the cross, he died in the place of sinners. He took our sin, our shame, our guilt. He suffered in our place, was raised from the dead. And now the invitation goes out. Anyone who turns from their sin and embraces that grace, embraces the mercy of God in Jesus, you will be forgiven. That's the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. It is, and it's so joy-filled. And um, for those of us who are Christians, we look back and we remember the joy, like, right? We remember. We remember when, Mm. you know, we were—but then I want to talk about the second category or group of people, of individuals, where we really need to be praying this theme of restore to me the joy of your salvation. There are a lot of joyless Christians Um, I want you to appeal to the joyless Christian listening right now that the restoration of joy is possible. Yeah, it it is. God wants, I think, understanding first that God wants us to live in joy. I mean, we, you know, we just had a baptism service this past, uh, well, just Sunday here. And, uh, you know, one of the great things about baptism is, is we remember the baptism of Jesus when God the Father speaks from heaven, his voice from heaven, an amazing moment in Scripture. And he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And you hear the delight of the Father in the Son. And as we follow Jesus in baptism, that same delight is expressed about us. God says of us as our Father, you're my beloved child. We, we, we live beneath the smile of God. And that should be a life characterized by joy. It doesn't mean a life absent of suffering. Suffering is, rea- is, is part of reality. The Bible tells us that we will suffer. And yet even in suffering, there is an underlying joy that we have in God as our Father who loves us. And I, I'm, I really want Christians to live in, in that joy and to ask God for it. God promises us this joy. And we see in Psalm 51, we can ask for it. We can say, we can recognize I don't feel the joy that I should feel. And so, God, would you give it to me again? Would you restore that joy? I mean, it's a, it's a prayer that, again, I, I pray every day. 
You know, I want, and it, and it comes down to, you know, at one level, the first commandment in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 is, is uh, you shall have no other gods before me. And so the command, which is, I think, the most central command of all commands is to love God supremely. And, and we all need God's grace to do that. And loving God supremely is, I, I believe, living in his joy. It's embracing the joy that is God. And we need his help for that. And so I think we ask for it. I just, uh, I love it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, that's Jonathan Parnell, Mercy for Today, a daily prayer from Psalm 51. Thanks to our friends at B&H and blessings upon uh, the ministry of Cities Church in this new year. Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. All right, friends, we'll be right back. Okay, so whatever you're facing today, um, let me encourage you to appeal to the mercies of God and his steadfast love. There's nothing happening in our lives today um, about which God is unaware um, or for which God is unprepared. Now, you and I are unaware and unprepared for lots of things, but God is not unaware of anything nor unprepared for anything. And so as we walk by faith in his company, um, as we abide in Christ, as we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we can, um, we can, now we can't, but God can handle whatever it is that we are going to hear, experience, encounter, um, be forced to decide. And so uh, I want you to be encouraged that, first of all, you don't walk alone because we walk in the fellowship of other believers, but each one of us walks yoked to Christ. And so let me encourage you today to walk by faith, abiding in Christ, trusting God to be God. His mercifuls are his mercifuls. His mercy is new every morning and his love is steadfast. We have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Uh, Stay with me. I look forward to our continuing conversation. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.